Hope you took the time to read chapter 16 of the story this week. Uh, We have been going through this for several months now. If you have not gotten your copy of it and would like one, uh, let me know and I'll get you one. It won't take long to catch up and join us. Uh, As I mentioned, chapter 16 does have quite a bit of things that go on. 722 B.C. has come and gone, as has the nation of Israel. Israel comes, excuse me, Assyria comes, takes Israel off into captivity, and now King Sennacherib and the Assyrians are knocking at Judah's door. He makes some threats and says, listen, I can do what I want. Uh, king Hezekiah, godly king, says, we have God. And Sennacherib says, you know what, no other god of any other nation has ever stopped me before. Hezekiah prays. One night, one angel of the Lord and 180,000 dead Assyrian soldiers later, Sennacherib tucks tail and runs back over on his border. And you would think all is good, but it's not. Judah doesn't listen. So ultimately what God is going to do is he's going to allow Judah to have the same demise, except not through Assyria, but through Babylon, in which the people will come down, Babylonians, and they're going to take off into exile Judah. But Jesus, excuse me, Jesus has not yet allowed his reign to come. And so while they think their kingdom is set up, it's not. And in fact, what's going to take place is exile once again for Judah. So God's going to send a man by the name of Isaiah, one of the most powerful prophets ever, and he writes a lot of what takes place. And what he's going to prophesy because of God is that, in fact, Judah will be taken off into captivity. And in fact, it's going to be the Babylonians are going to do this. But Isaiah doesn't prophesy just about an unfaithful people. He's also going to prophesy about a faithful God. And ultimately what God says is, yeah, you're going to go off into captivity. But let me tell you this, you may not be faithful, but I am. And he ultimately says in Isaiah chapter 49... He's pretty clear about what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to come back. He says, even if a mother would forget the baby that she bore and held at her breast, I will not forget my people. And of all the things that are said throughout all of chapter 16 and all of everything that is said throughout Isaiah, there's one sentence that just stuck with me. And I want to read that to you. It comes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 26, the second half. It says, Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, and the Mighty One of Jacob. And that just cut right to my heart. And I wanted to ask myself the question, What would it take in my life So that all the world, when they saw me, what they would really see, that the Lord is the Savior and the Redeemer and the Mighty One of my life. And so that's what I want to ask you. I want you to think in your mind, imagine as much as you can, what would it take For when people to talk about you, when they look at your life, what they really see is that the Lord is the mighty one. 
the Savior and the Redeemer of your life. For Noah, it took a flood, a boat, and a bunch of animals. For Abraham, it took lots and lots of walking. It took walking out away from his home. It took walking up to a mountain where he thought he was going to sacrifice his son. It took having faith in a God who would be with him. For Moses, it took lots of wandering, trying to find his way. First in the desert because he ran for killing. Now he was being called by God to go into the desert and lead his people. But what about you? What would it take that at the end of your life, people would look and say, For you, the Lord is your Savior, your Redeemer, and the Mighty One. I don't want to see blank stares. I want you to imagine right now what would have to happen for God to be glorified in your life. God chose to glorify His Son Jesus. And the same prophet Isaiah would prophesy to what would have to happen in Jesus' life in order for God to receive glory. And so I want to take a moment and I want to share through the words of Eugene Peterson in the message as I read a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 53. If Jesus would have asked, what would it take for God to be glorified? This is the answer that was given. Who believes what we've seen and heard? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause him to take a second look, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked on, Looked over, looked down upon, and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it it was our pains that he carried. It was our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was, was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed. Our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And and God has piled all of our sins, everything we've done, all the wrong things we've done on Him. On Him. 
He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in in a grave with criminals. Even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, that's what God had in mind all along. To crush him with pain. The thought was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As he himself carries the burden of our sins, therefore God will reward him extravagantly the best of everything, the highest of honors, because he looked death in the face and he didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. One last time. What would it take? What would it take in your life For God to be glorified. I, I sometimes try to do some, some silly, off-the-wall, goofy things. About a year and a half ago, I decided that I wanted to talk about integrity. Because that's what we are reading about in the Sermon on the Mount. You let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to show what integrity looks like? Because I thought, why dress up like a churchgoer on Sunday if you're not going to be a Christian on Monday? So I decided in my own mind before I got up here, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start taking off my clothes so people can see how silly it would be to show up to church acting like you're a Christian when you're really not one and what we got out of it is well every time Doug touches his tie everybody gets nervous <laughs> and somewhere in the middle we lost it maybe it was my fault as an orator because what I really wanted to see at the end of the day don't dress like a churchgoer on Sunday if you're not going to live like a Christian on Monday and so we laugh and joke about Doug, he likes to take off his clothes. And we, we missed it. And I don't want to do anything else to miss this point. I don't want to do anything that would take away from this question. What does God need to do in your life what do you need to allow God to do in your life so that at the end of the day, everyone will look at you and they will say, See, in that person's life, the Lord is the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Mighty One. 
What, do, what has to happen in your life? You may not know the answer to that question, and neither did Isaiah as he began his ministry. And yet he chose to follow God nonetheless. And so I want to take just a moment and I want to share with you what Isaiah's response was. This is a dream that Isaiah is writing about. In the year of King Isaiah, when he died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of the robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings it covered their faces. With two wings it covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the whole temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away And your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, Here I am. Send me. What needs to happen in your life? So that as people look at your life, what they see is that the Lord is the Redeemer and the Savior, and the Mighty One. And once you figure that out, my prayer is that you utter the same words of Isaiah. Here I am, send me. If you're ready to answer that question this morning, I want to encourage you to come now as we stand and sing.